Parshas Naso. Who is carrying whom? Feeling uplifted rather than burdened by our mitzvah responsibilities. An also relevant theme. This will emerge from an in-depth treatment of the parasha in our quest to find a meta-female message pervasively permeating the parasha. On the face of it, Parshas Nasso seems all over the place. It seems diffused. Everything from counting the Levium to assign them responsibilities in carrying the Mishkan to the Nazir who commits not to drink wine to the Sota, the wife suspected of infidelity to Birchas Kohanim the, the Kalam's blessing, to the Nesim, the princes of the individual Shvatim, who offer offerings to the Mishkan. What do all of these have to do with each other? And it's particularly troubling when you realize, chronologically, they, they don't correspond at all. The Nesim's offering happened much earlier, happened at the same time of Parshashmini, happened at the time they inaugurated the Mishkan. And moreover, Sefer Bamidbar is not really a Sefer about mitzvahs. Sefer Bamidbar, the Ramban tells us, is supposed to be a Sefer of storyline. So any mitzvahs have to relate to the storyline. So the question is, what are these seemingly random mitzvahs about? What is the concept here? It's not a time just to give random mitzvahs. So when I try to crack open a parasha, where do I go? How do I start? How do you even begin to trace the pattern? It's kind of like pulling that first pickle out of the pickle jar. Once you pull the first one out, the others will start popping out. How do you go about it? Or you imagine a puzzle. This is a more accurate metaphor, Marshall. You imagine a puzzle with many, many pieces. As, as different fragments of the puzzle start coming together, it becomes much easier. But the first puzzle pieces coalescing together are very difficult. So how do we begin to put our, the puzzle pieces in our parasha together? So I generally employ what I call the bookend methodology. The assumption that every unit in Torah has symmetrical bookends. So every parasha you will see commonalities and symmetry in its opening passage and its final passage, and that will guide us concerning the theme of the totality of the parsha. Well, when you think about it, the opening passage, which is about counting those Levium who will be who are supposed to carry the Mishkan, and the final passage about the Nasim's offering, a very simple shared issue becomes immediately apparent, and that is what was the first offering of the Nesim. What was the first thing that the Nesim donated? Yeah. Wagons. And what were those wagons used for? To facilitate the Levium's carrying of the Mishkan. Well, here's our bullseye right here. The parsha's opening with the census which designated the Levium who would be carriers. And it is ending with the Nassim's donation of wagons to facilitate that carrying. Carrying of the Mishkan is the meta theme of the parasha. 
And as we think more, this becomes even more intriguing. Because both of these passages, the census in the beginning of the parasha and the offering of the seam at the end, not only contain the theme, the, the issue of carrying the Mishkan, but they both center on the term for carrying. The census is, is introduced with the words naso esrosh, lift up the heads. And likewise, the princes at the end who offer the offerings are called what? Nisiyan, those who are elevated and uplifted. Pieces are beginning to come together. Something's going on here about lifting. And then smack in the middle of the parasha, we can also trace, perhaps, a softer echo about lifting, because the mitzvah of Birchas Kahanam in the beginning of, in the middle of our parasha is called what? Nisias kapai, the lifting of palms to bless the people. So nisia lifting, is the meta theme of the parasha. It's coming together. Now we need to tease out its meaning. What is carrying all about on a level of meaning? So when you think about it, on one hand, carrying can connote burdensomeness. Ah, we Levim have to carry those beams and those curtains and those vessels. And perhaps that issue of carrying burdens is simply a more visceral imagery of what some people suffer from in midst of experience in general, feeling laden by responsibilities. You know, we're all family men. Ah, oh, a lot of demands. And mitzvahs, and making a Pesach, and making a Shabbos. You can find it very burdensome. Just as the Levine could have physically found the caring of the Mishkan to be a real weight, quite literally, on their shoulder. But in a splendid double entendre, the Torah in this parsha calls those who are lifting themselves lifting. It says, Nasoas Rosh, lift up the head in counting these Levim who will themselves carry. It is no coincidence that they are called lifted when they are being assigned a task to lift. The, 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 we'll get there. The intention is you become uplifted by shouldering responsibilities. And likewise, the Nasiyah. These princely individuals are themselves called the uplifted ones. Responsibilities elevate us. And when Torah life is lived with health and with balance, we don't feel laden at all. We feel that these commitments are an investiture to find purpose and meaning and make us feel ever greater, ever more special. 
And from this perspective, I would like to begin to take a stab at some of the other narratives in the parasha and see how they weave right in and expand this theme of developing this healthy attitude of becoming uplifted through mitzvahs rather than feeling laden by the burden. Well, we have a narrative in the parasha which doesn't seem to have a place to a superficial reader, and that is it discusses the halachas of giving matnas kahun. I'm a Yisrael. I have to give various gifts to Kohen, to Eli, for my grain and the shearings of wool for my sheep. Now, in this parish of Matnas Kahuna, the parasha, it discusses the rights the Yisrael has and in turn the rights the Kohen has. It says, the Ichas Kadashav Lo I, the Yisrael, my offerings are mine, as in I have what's called Tovas Hana. I have the ability to determine which Kohen gets it. So, the Ichas Kadashav Lo Yihiyu, it's mine, it's his, it's his, it's his, the Yisrael's to determine who gets it. But then it continues. Ultimately, it becomes the Kohen. You hear the splendid echo in that Pasuk. It says, Lo Yiyeh regarding the Yisrael, and then Lo Yiyeh regarding the Kohen. Saying they both have rights here which need to be respected. The Kohen, certainly his rights need to be respected to receive his due, and the Yisrael's rights need to be respected in terms of allocation rights. Who gets it? What is the greater issue here of Lo Yiyeh, Lo Yiyeh? No one's rights should be trampled on. Well, when we study the whole quandary and conundrum of our parasha, do people feel laden and burdened by responsibilities? Well, much of that syndrome, we suffer from that syndrome when we feel like our individual rights are not being respected. When does a family man or a family woman suddenly feel sapped of energy? When they feel that their personal rights within the family are not being respected. When does a member of an organization feel used rather than elevated by their organizational responsibility? When they feel they are being trampled on. When in Klal Yisrael does an individual feel used, if they feel their rights, roles are not being respected? The Torah is telling us for this to work, for the Nusso to work. Lo yiyeh, lo yiyeh. The Cohen's rights must be respected. The Israel's rights must be respected. And no one can feel trampled on because then they will feel laden with burdens. And from this perspective, I would like to explain the presence here of the Sota narrative as well. Let's think for a minute. Let's try to enter the mind of the Sota wrong as she might be. What happens in the Sota story is the husband has paranoid suspicions that his wife is acting disloyal. And he says, don't hang out with so-and-so. And she does hang out with so-and-so. Whether she actually committed the act or not, she's clearly defying his explicit orders. And certainly, getting under his skin, an understatement. Why do women do that? Why do they defy their husbands? And in some cases, Halil do the unthinkable. I would like to suggest it's not generally an issue of strictly taiva, certainly not on a woman's part. Generally, it's when she feels rightly or wrongly that 
her needs are not being provided for. Her self is not being met in the marriage. Whether physical needs, intimacy needs, emotional needs are not being met, I feel that this relationship is a burden on me and not providing me with fulfillment. And Khalilah, she will therefore do the unthinkable or at least turn the knife on him a little bit by hanging out with that man. That I would suggest the message is the same. Focus on why people feel burdened by commitments that really should leave them feeling elevated. So I would suggest. I am suggesting that the same issue dealt with in the narrative studied before, the Kohen and the Yisrael, lo yiyeh, lo yiyeh. Everyone's needs need to be respected for this thing to work on people not to feel used. Is likewise true in the Sota narrative. It's, it is a negative model when people feel burdened because their individual needs are not being met. Let's see if we could take the suggestion and ground it a bit. A bit. Well, there's a commentary of Rashi in our parasha that on the face of it rings a little hollow. Rashi's talking about why the Torah introduces the Sota right after it dealt with the Matnas Kahuna passage. Like, what is the connection between the issue of I should be giving grain to Eli and the Sota, the woman who is suspected of cheating on her husband? What is the connection? So Rashi cites a Medrash as follows. With a Midrashic wag of the finger, says, Mr. Yisrael, if you're terrible, and you don't give the coin his due, you don't give him his truma, well, you might need that coin in very unsavory circumstances. Because if your wife is a sota, you will need the services of the coin to administer that sota water. So on the face of it, you say to me, that can I can need that? You spurn the coin, didn't give him his matas kahuna, you'll need him. But there must be more than that. There must be a deeper connection here. It seems almost out of proportion here. The Yisrael was a little bit greedy with his money and did not give the coin his due. And suddenly, he is struck. He is stabbed in that most sensitive of places as his wife defies him. Simply, so the coin can then stare him in the eye and say, you see, you need me? There must be a deeper connection between the two between the Matnas Kahuna passage, the fellow who reneges the Matnas Kahuna, and Rashi's insinuation, you're the type of person whose wife will become a Sota. Well, I think now we're getting it. The issue in the Matnas Kahuna passage, this fellow who does not provide for the Kohen, he's looking at the Kohen, he's looking at the religious functioners of the Jewish people, like they could be used we use you, Kohanim, to make of Karbonus. We use you, Rebbeim and teachers. We use you, Rabbanim. Now we pay you dirt. We, we use you. Yeah? And when people feel used, that is when this horrific resentment of feeling burdened sets in. Well, such a person, 
that leaves otherwise deeply committed people feeling used. Don't think that attitude will be limited to financials. Think in the most intimate way how he might leave people feeling used and hence burdened by relationships and how they might just act out. Now it is not a hollow <clears throat> statement of Rashi at all, but resonant and pulsating with meaning and dealing with this larger issue of Parshas Nasa when people feel burdened rather than uplifted by their responsibilities, commitments, and mitzvahs. In a sense, the parasha is forcing us to ask the question, why do people renege? Why do people renege on their responsibilities and even rebel against authority? I believe there's a fundamental assumption. People don't just do that. They do that when something is not working. And I would suggest just as in this tragic circumstance, the Sota, the woman is acting out towards her husband this way because she feels used. For those members of Klal Yisrael who Halila drop observance, I would like to suggest a major factor is they feel Laden by mitzvahs. They have, they, they have not experienced mitzvahs in their healthy sense as elevating experiences, as in line with the truth that every fulfillment in life comes with investiture and work and discipline. When Yiddishkeit is not healthy, is out of balance, that can happen. <coughs> this <coughs> suggestion that the Sota narrative and this woman who feels used and therefore plays out this way is not limited to the Sota but is supposed to reflect in the larger partial Snusso theme of not finding mitzvahs to be burdensome. I suggest is borne out by a textual echo if we listen carefully for recurrent phrases. In the Sota narrative it says umala voma'a she rebels against her husband. Well, right before, there's a narrative in the Chumash here, in Parshas Naso, which speaks of a Yid who, who sins, and it says, Umal mal b'ashem, he rebels against Hashem. These juxtapose expressions about rebellion, the woman rebelling against her husband, and the prior passage statement about the Yid who rebels against Hashem. <clears throat> the echo is so apparent. I think it is telling us, guiding us, to see these two rebellions in similar terms, just as in the familial setting, people rebel. Why would she rebel? I think the assumption is, as we're saying, she feels burdened, delayed upon. Be wary of that in mitzvah observance to that same drive to rebel because the person is not experiencing Hashem's mitzvahs as they ought to be experienced.
ultimately responsibilities uplift us if we only appreciate that. And if we only recognize that the, that the system of Yiddishkeit is one which respects me and my needs and gives me the personal expression I need that therefore I can see the responsibilities in a family, in a community, in an army Yisrael uplifting me. This notion of responsibility uplifting has another manifestation which will explain yet another seemingly detached segment in our parsha, And that is, it is in this parsha that we have the mitzvah of vidoy, why does the mitzvah of vidoy confessing <coughs> figure into Parashas Nasa. Yom Kippur's a long way to go, right? Maybe not so long. Mm-hmm. Well, it is because Vidoy, the, the ability to admit and confess, is all about taking personal responsibility. When an individual feels truly burdened and overwhelmed by the weight of their failings, they cannot come clean they naturally gravitate to that place of denial, whitewashing, and the like. A healthy vidoy admission, confession, is when a person says, I can take responsibility. I could stare this one down, including my own personal limitations. I am not threatened by it. I can shoulder it in a fashion which doesn't knock me down. And I could say with equanimity, Hashem, Hashemnu, Baganu, Kazanu. It is taking responsibility in the most elevated way, which is the larger theme of Parshas Naso according to this entire pattern that we have traced in the Parsha. It all goes back to the Nasoas Rosh, lift up the head, lift up the individual. We become uplifted in this Parsha, which is all about shouldering burdens. Shouldering whether it is the weight of the kalim of the Mishkan, or whether it is the weight of personal struggles, or whether it is the weight of familial responsibilities. I can become uplifted by this. Which now takes us to a, a final narrative in the parasha, which I would like to address. And that is the deeper meaning of why the Nazir narrative figures in to Parashas Naso. Beyond its immediate connection to the Sota passage which preceded it, why does it figure into Parshas Naso as a whole? Well, what is a Nazir? A Nazir is an individual who attains Kedusha by virtue of instilling discipline in himself. He commits not to have wine, potentially because he recognizes, presumably because he recognizes within himself he has certain struggles. I need to enter a five-step program or other sort of program, a total five-step program. I need to come clean from alcohol. And it gives him a kedusha. I become sanctified through imposing a system of discipline on myself that I don't feel like God's suffering servant when I impose this discipline. I become called Nazir Hashem, the special prince of Hashem, because I took responsibility and I shouldered something. It is echoing of the original Parsha. The textual clue which drives this home is you will notice in an inordinate amount of times the word Rosh, head, 
appears in the Sota narrative. Listen carefully during Kriyas HaTorah and Shabbos. Gadel Para Sa'aro Show, Vigilach Esrosh Nizro, Vichiyomus Mesalov Bepesa Peson, Vitine Esrosh Nizro. It's even in some unexpected places. It speaks of the Rosh, the head of this Nazir. Well, that I believe is an echo of the opening phrase of the Parsha. Nasoes Rosh, lift the heads. That head held high. The Levium's head held high, spoken of in the beginning of the Parsha, is supposed to echo into the Sota narrative, the Nazir narrative about Rosh. It is all the same thing. Hold your head high when you are shouldering responsibilities. You are becoming uplifted. You are not becoming demeaned if you're doing this with health, if your personal needs are being respected, if you are doing this not so thing right. Finally, to kind of tie our shirt together with that nice satin bow, I want to find a statement of Chazal in the parish which almost explicitly articulates this parasha theme. Shouldering the responsibilities in turn uplifts me. And here is where... Thank you for your patience. Here is where the mentioned chazal rings and resonates in all its splendor and glory. The most holy of all Levian in their caring responsibilities, and that is the family of Gahas. When they carry the most holy of all vessels, which is the Aaron, the Aaron we are told, Aaron no sayas no snub. A great miracle happened. The Aaron carried those who were carrying it. This lady thought he was carrying the Aaron, but in turn, he flew up and he was carried. He did not feel any weight of the Aaron. He actually flew gracefully in the air. Now we have to ask ourselves, as with every Medrash Chazal, is this miracle supposed to be taken literally or figuratively? I don't know. I think so. If you think about the weight of the Aaron, it would be hard to carry physically. But either way, but either way, but either way, what is the message? What is the theme behind this miracle? Well, here it is, the entire theme of the parasha played out magnificently in front of us. Are you burdened by the responsibilities you're shouldering? Or are you, in turn, uplifted by it? Who is carrying whom? You think you are carrying the Aaron. It is carrying you. The same is true about all mitzvah responsibility. I think I'm shouldering my family and supporting them. But they are carrying me. I strive because I am doing this and I have that precious reward called being a family man, a tyrannic family man. I think I am doing for Hashem. But who's really doing for whom here? You think you're carrying, but it in turn carries you. What a splendid articulation of the meta-theme of the parsha in this Chazal regarding our parsha, with its visceral imagery of Aaron, no say, 
as no self. May we all merit that all, all the responsibilities we shoulder, all the mitzvah responsibilities, the fam- familial responsibilities, may we always feel uplifted and consummately elevated by them rather than Khalid feeling burdened and laden.